Hello and welcome to the Empathy for Breakfast show. I am Mimi Nicklin and I am your host of a show that travels the world, talking to people from all corners of our planet about empathy, about our ability to connect and to understand each other and how that is changing our world. These conversations won't only unpack the amazing power of empathy in our societies and our businesses, but they will remind us that we are all far more alike than we are different. I believe that there has never been a better time to talk about empathy, to talk about our need to reconnect as people, as human beings. The more the world talks about empathy, the more empathy the world will have. So let's get talking. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Empathy for Breakfast show. I am more than excited to introduce today's guest, which is Debbie Stephen, who is the CEO and founder of the most phenomenal NGO called Action Break Silence, which we're going to talk all about today, and I'm going to let Debbie tell you about it. But I discovered this business, this charity, this community of people who are tackling sexual harassment and sexual violence all over the world, um, and are doing that with empathy at the heart. So Debbie, I couldn't be, as I said, more excited to invite you here to talk about this a little bit more, and thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. It's really, really amazing to be on the show, um, and I'm excited about the next part of our talk. Super. So Debbie, as I said to, to the audience already, you run this um, fantastic business or NGO called Action Breaks Silence and you do use empathy in lots of your work. So I'm going to come back to that. But let's start today with a really sort of straightforward question that always kicks off our conversations, which is what does empathy really mean to you? I think empathy for me is a real deep um, connect with people around us. So for me, it's really, really trying to understand what people around us, and when I say community, I mean extended community, what people around us are going through and actually feeling that, really trying to understand that. I think we live in a world, I think you and I have a very similar um, position on it, that we live in a world with such a lack of empathy. And I think I'll go into that in a bit more detail, but there really is, for me, I think everything I do starts with empathy. You know, I work in the gender-based violence space. So you're working not just with women, but I'm working with boys and men. And often you're working with young children that um, have already been conditioned to have some quite scary responses to questions we ask in that sphere. And for me, it really has to be one of non-judgment. I think to be truly empathetic, you have to have an understanding of something bigger than individual. I love that. I absolutely love that. And often people ask me about uh, whether there are geographical differences in empathy. And one of the things I always talk about is the difference between individualistic and collectivist societies. So exactly as you're really? saying, something bigger than just me and my yeah. world and, and my day to day. So you mentioned there, you mentioned there, Debbie, this lack of empathy, which of course you and I are entirely aligned on. Um, so do you believe we're suffering from an empathy deficit? I mean, this is something that Obama mentioned back in 2006, so nearly 15 years ago. And as far as I'm concerned, we've not done much to fix it. But what do you think? What do you think about the empathy deficit? Do we have one? 
agree. I think there's an empathy deficit. I think one of the things that 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 clearly shows this, if you look at South Africa as an example, so Action Break Silence works in the UK, India, and South Africa, and we've worked in South America as well. If you look at South Africa and you look at the stats on gender-based violence, it's horrifying. You know, I know Charlize Theron many, many, many years ago did a, an ad for Rape Crisis, and they asked her what she thought about South African men, and her comment went something along the lines of, well, I'm not really sure what to think because one in four men are rapists. And that was really badly received by South African men, as you can imagine. I understand totally where she came from, but I don't think it was a comment made with very much empathy. And so in South Africa now, one of the biggest sort of hashtags is men are trash. And many, many people are jumping on board. And, you know, and I I have a, a young international youth ambassador living with me at the moment. And we were having a conversation around that and I said to her, look, I'm really sorry, but I just would never ever be part of a hashtag that men are trash. I'm a survivor. I've been raped. So I understand what it's like. I, I get it. But that's not the answer. That is really not. And a lot of the work that I've done, Mimi, has been really looking not just at women, but looking at boys and looking at men and looking at it through an empathetic lens. As much as women have gone through so much, and I will never excuse any form of perpetration of violence against women at all. But are we so shocked when as a world, cross-culture, cross-religion, cross-borders, are we surprised that men don't communicate when you look at how all cultures bring men up? you know, and how all cultures silence men. You know, men, if you communicate too much, you call like non-masculine. It's not It's not a masculine trait to over-communicate. So yes, so I think for me, um, there's certain things that I'm very against. And I think the the hashtag men are trash, I actually, it makes me, it doesn't make me angry. It makes me sad because it's fighting fire with fire. And I don't think that that's positive. I didn't know about that hashtag, I have to say. And, and I also feel really sad by that. Um, I was writing a piece recently and I remember my last sentence, it was a gender piece, more about equi- equality and equity in, in the workplace. And my last sentence was 50% of us can't fix this, i.e. women alone. 100% exactly. of us can. Exactly. And when you were saying that, that's exactly what came to mind. I couldn't agree more. I mean, slightly off discussion, but absolutely, you know, relevant when we're talking about gender inclusion and gender you know evolution in the workplace which is particularly where I focus I totally agree you know all of these groups that are only women talking about only women's issues is only ever 50% of the people that can fix them so really really fascinating tell me Debbie since I mean we're still in a pandemic right I mean who would have thought that one year later we would still be so deep into COVID-19 but we are here we are how do you think the pandemic has affected our empathy levels you know has it driven our empathy for each other up in the communities you've been working with? Have you seen it go down? And of course, you're working across many different societies, some from, you know, deeply in in poverty, some far more developed and, and more affluent. What's your take on how the pandemic has impacted our empathy levels? I think it's a complex one. I would like to think that it's impacted empathy on a positive level. Like if I look at the teams that we have in South Africa and the UK and India that haven't been able to access our beneficiaries because of very strict restrictions, COVID restrictions, I look at them coming 
coming out of it and I look at the levels of empathy amongst our team and I definitely see that there's been like, I don't know, maybe more of an understanding. I mean, COVID-19 has brought us together, I think, because it doesn't matter how rich you are. The reality of it is this has impacted your life. Interestingly enough, of course, people that are poor and people that have social economic challenges, I think it's impacted their lives more. But if you look at the stats in South Africa on COVID-19 and the stats in the UK, they're very different. So I would say that the lockdown has made people think more. I think it's made people think more outside of the individual. It's forced us to do that. But then on the other hand, in most countries, violence against women has escalated during the lockdown. So again, you know, if men were empathetic, I think that there would be a reduction, not an increase. So I think it's a difficult one to just give a yes or no answer to. I would say in some parts, yes, I think empathy is stronger, but in other parts, perhaps not. I would I would agree with that. I think I was looking at some data recently from the West, so uh, from more developed markets. But what we were seeing is that when the first lockdown came, empathy went up because it was new. Everyone was in this together. There was great sense of community, support for health workers, you know, people helping their neighbors and great. really sort of coming together. And as that has gone on and on and on, we're beginning to see that individualism sneak back into the equation Thank and people to be less community driven, less understanding, less connecting in their environments. And of course, that has a a great tie to mental health as well. So when we talk about our societies as a whole, and you've touched on it already, and as the leader of an NGO doing such critical work for society as a whole, how do you see the value of empathy in our progress as a society and not just in the violence space, but as human beings? I think as human beings, I think as human beings, you know, I can't, I think if there's one thing that we can change and one thing that would have an incredibly positive impact on the world would be for us to really, really look through every situation that happens in our lives through an empathy lens. So I do, I really, really do believe in that, that great change can come when we stop judging and we start feeling, you know, and empathy is something that you feel, you know, you're putting yourself, you're feeling, you're feeling somebody else's pain. I think one of the things that I've noticed in the work that I do, and I've been very lucky that I work internationally, is that in poorer communities, there's much more togetherness than I kind of feel sometimes the richer you get, the more disconnected you are as human beings. You know, you so I don't know, I think people are so scared of losing their money, they become so paranoid that everyone around them is going to take their money from them that that's a very um, broad brush I'm using. But I do think when I've been working in some of the poorest communities in South Africa and India and in, in South America, when you go into these communities, there is there is that togetherness. You know, there is a sharing of responsibility with regards to your child is my child. And if you have to go out to work and you can't get somebody to look after your child, I'm there to help. You know, so I do I do feel that. And I think it's interesting because there's often talk about East and West, isn't there? And first world countries and second world countries or global South and global North. But the reality of it, I think when where I've learned empathy the most has been in communities with economic challenges. Absolutely. And that goes exactly back to this idea of collectivism versus individualism. And of course, in the East and in Africa um, and across the Middle East, we do see far more traditional collectivist societies, which, as you said, today tend to be less successful on the economic scale, shall we say. Um, So from that point on, you've obviously established 
um, your community around you, uh, predominantly, as you said, India, South Africa, the UK, a little bit in Latin America as well. You've established this organization to help decrease violence against women. And you have a program, which is what caught my interest, first of all, specifically called the Empathy Bystander Program for Boys. Can you tell us a little bit about where that came from? Uh, what is the initiative and how does it work? So Action Break Silence has a community intervention. So basically what we have is we have we train people that are unemployed or part-time employed to deliver our program. So that's really, really important. Then we have what was, I guess, more known as a traditional empowerment through self-defense program, which is often what people talk about, let's empower women, all right? And then we have a primary schools program. So we try and catch children as young as possible to before the way that they their belief system is set in. And the girls do the empowerment through self-defense and active bystander. And what happened is I started looking and talking to so many girls and then realizing like 10 years ago, like, this is crazy. Like, why is it the women that are doing all the work? Like, surely we have to engage boys. And when I was talking to boys, I did my master's degree in women and child abuse. And I looked at interventions across the world that were working. And I kept thinking, like, we have to engage boys. And so I did my dissertation in Soweto in South Africa. And I asked loads of young boys their thoughts. And I was like, wow, so many of these young boys know what they're doing is wrong, but they feel a huge amount of pressure. But you can't believe the sense of, like, we want to do look at young boys as possible allies and young boys as what could we do as a charity that we didn't look at young boys as future rapists or future perpetrators. We actually looked at those young boys as incredible, amazing people that needed to have some guidance and needed to have role models and needed to be able to know that it was okay to cry and needed to know that it was okay to actually express themselves, although the world around them is saying that that's actually not okay. So that was a big thing for me personally and for the charity was to then look at and we got a whole bunch of international psychologists together and looked at child development and we looked at, um, you know, how would we tap into sort of empathy and stuff. So the program is a long-term program. So it starts normally children between the ages of 9 and 11, depending on the country we're working in and the area we're working in. But we go in with the boys and they have six one-hour sessions. And the first session is about self-love. Because one of the things, uh, Mimi, that I've realized, um, like having a deep empathy towards men, is they're not really happy, are they? Like, they're not happy. Mostly they're not happy. Because if you are happy, would you punch your wife in the face? Like, that's not a happy place. Like, and if you are happy, would you really abuse, like, I don't know, a three-year-old child? Um, and so I realized just how unhappy this sort of feeling of unhappiness was, and you look at mental health and how many guys suffer, far outweighs women. You look at suicide of men, it far outweighs women. You look at drug and alcohol abuse, it far, you know, men far outweigh women. So we were looking at this and actually going back to the beginning and saying, how can we get these nine and 10 year old boys to understand that they matter? Like that they have as much right to happiness and being treated with dignity and respect and empathy to anyone else. And so our program starts with boys and girls, but the boys do a session on self-love 
What does it mean to be your own best friend? And then also letting young boys know that they can be anything they want to be. They don't have to replicate what society puts on them as, I guess, as an alpha man, that they can be whoever they want to be. So that was a sort of in a nutshell, we're looking at self-love, we're looking at self-competence, we're looking at the types of abuse, we're getting young boys to understand that they can be allies and they can work side by side, you know, with women and girls. And a year later, we do a phase two and boys and girls come together. And so we've worked on empathy with boys. We've worked on empowerment with girls. We now put them together and they start having like conversations around what a healthy relationship relationship looks like and what does it mean to be a hero in 2021 and how can they be there to support each other I mean wow I don't know I'm a little bit speechless I've never really thought a bit about that I mean your comment there about perhaps men are generally quite sad and you know would a happy person punch someone in the face or, or violently attack I guess any other human being that's not something I've ever really dialed into from a from a happiness versus sadness point of view before so I think that's uh, pretty groundbreaking in terms of insight into that tell me from a from the girls point of view you've spoken about you know teaching them empowerment can they have empathy for men that have attacked them I think it goes I think that's a that's a very personal thing I, I don't I wouldn't like to put anything on women that have been attacked by men. I've been, I am a survivor. Do I have any empathy on the guys that did, you know, that raped me? To be honest with you, no. Um, would I like to change it so that other guys don't do that? Um, yes. So I think that's a very personal thing, whether you, you know, do I forgive the guys that raped me? I, I think I forgive myself more than the guys. Like I don't carry it around with me as much as I did maybe 10 years ago. But forgiveness, you know, that again, it's a very personal thing. But I do think that I feel, and this is something as a survivor, I feel that unless we deal with men empathetically and understand that they are they are behaving in a bad way because of patriarchy, because of societal pressure on them, and unless we all come together and change the way we bring up young boys, cross race, cross religion, cross north, south, global, blah, 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 just everywhere. And very importantly is we start treating children differently. Like this thing, children should be heard, seen and not heard, and adults not really listening to young people or valuing the voices of young people. I think that's a huge part of the, you know, part of the problem. And as we get older, that's where there are huge groups of people that are just unempathetic, where men are just entitled. There's a sense of entitlement. There's a sense that they deserve more than girls, you know, um, and that's pushed on them by society. Amazing, again, amazingly insightful. And I think I spend a huge amount of my time talking about the fact that we do not teach our children, our youth or each other to listen. Yeah. You know, when we have very little children, I have a very little child. I teach her to listen all the time because she's small. Listen to mummy, listen to daddy, listen to your teacher. But as they get bigger, certainly as they go into university and definitely when they're in organizations, we are no longer teaching anybody to listen to anybody, which is, of course, why I get up and do what I do every day. Now, Debbie, last question. And it is the same question I, I like to ask at the end of the show to everyone to lighten the conversation a little bit before we conclude. If you could share breakfast with any one person, and of course, this show is all about getting to know other human beings so you're here to share your story and your expertise but also for us to understand you as a person so 
If you could share breakfast with any one person, who would it be? Where would you go? And what would you be having? I have to uh, derail slightly. I'm not a breakfast person, but I'll pretend I enjoy breakfast. Um, And there's different time zones in the world. So my breakfast could be somebody else's lunch. But I would love, after being in lockdown in London for so long, I would love to meet all our trainers in South Africa, India, and the UK in one venue and have a buffet of absolute like Indian breakfast, traditional South African breakfast, traditional UK breakfast. And for all of us to actually come together and just, you know, eating together and conversation is just for me heaven. So I, that, that would definitely be something that I would really, really, I mean, I would I would go mental if you said, look, I'm going to make that happen for you. Debbie, Stephen, I wish I could. I absolutely wish I could make that happen. But I do love that you've ended with the concept of breaking bread, really, and back to our roots as human beings, connecting over food, which is, of course, how I got to the title of this show in the first place. So Debbie, thank you. Our 20 minutes is up. I am so, so honoured that you came to join me for breakfast, even if it's a virtual one, and that you shared so openly and honestly about your own experience and all the fantastic work you're doing. So I really hope this is the beginning of a relationship for us. I can be part of what you're doing and that more of us can take away some of those key points you said today. One of my key takeaways was you saying the world would be a better place if we did less judging and more feeling. Thank you for joining us. That was Debbie Stephen from Action Break Silence. Please look them up. I will share all of their details in the show notes so that you can follow them and all the fantastic work they're doing around the world to create a little bit more balance when it comes to women and men and to really tackle sexual violence and any type of violence or toxic masculinity that's out there in the world today. Thank you very much for joining us for breakfast. And Thank I you so much, Jimmy. All again soon. Thanks, Debbie. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And with that, another episode of the Empathy for Breakfast show comes to a close. I would like to thank IQ Films, who produced this episode, and DJ Ciel for my soundtrack and music. Do join me online to carry on the conversation. I'm incredibly active on Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter, at Mimi Nicklin. I would love to talk to you all more. Meanwhile, spread the word, share the empathy. Because after all, the more the world talks about empathy, the more empathy the world will have. I'm Mimi Nicklin. Thank you very much for tuning in. And I look forward to seeing you again on the Empathy for Breakfast show.